Well, welcome, church. So glad you're with us here today. Uh, I'm very excited about the conversation we get to have. I'm here with my friend Jennifer Skurlock, who is uh, just a, a dear person in our lives. She is a, an educator. She is an incredible musician and vocalist. She is a, a leader of leaders and is a lover of Jesus to the core. And if there was one person that, that I thought would be really, really important to have a, a very... Um, healthy, um, genuine, honest conversation about the, the racial inequality that is around us, that I knew it would be Jennifer. Because, um, you know, I, I feel when it comes to this subject that this is not the kind of conversation you just sort of have once and you make a statement and then it goes away and we said, well, we talked about that a long time ago and, and it's over with now. I feel like this is the kind of conversation that we need to have on a regular basis as a church. And so I knew um, in that that I wanted to be able to talk with Jennifer and uh, have you hear her heart when it comes to these issues. And so with that, I get to introduce to you my friend, Jennifer Skurlock, and I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for uh, taking the time to be with us today. So the first thing I, I would love to invite you to, um, the first thought or conversation to, to begin with, I, I recognize that we all have cultural lenses that we grew up with. I, I grew up in a small town, um, you know, Oregon. It, 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 it was fine, a great way to grow up, but it gives me a certain lens in life. And I know that that lens is not the same for every person. And so I'm curious for you, if you could tell us about your experiences, both personally and what you've gathered from those around you, about what it was like for you growing up as a person of color in Eugene and, and those experiences around her. Give us a sense of your lens <laughs> and your experience. Thank you so much for asking. Yeah. So I I have a lot of different perspectives, um, partially because my parents, or excuse me, I should say my mother in particular, grew up here in Eugene when Eugene was still segregated. Okay. And so for, for those who do not know the history behind segregation, specifically here in Eugene, um, black people, African-Americans, were restricted to three different areas in the Eugene-Springfield area. So the West 11th area, where the land was very, it was wet, marshy land, okay. um, people did not want to live there and so blacks were restricted to live in that area wow um high street area so yeah. near the willamette river that was a restricted area for blacks and then also uh glenwood area so okay. between eugene and springfield okay and so when my mom um would share her stories with with me um i remember listening attentively just about here in eugene so this is separate from my father's story yeah so they were both born in arkansas and during the black migration both of my parents families moved up north to Oregon and Washington. So my my grandfather, Barney Stubbs, raised his children um, with his wife, Wilma Stubbs, here in Eugene. Okay. My father was then raised in Portland with his family, and they owned a gas station in northeast Portland. Okay. And so I remember my mom sharing stories about growing up here in Eugene, and I didn't understand how my skin was seen as something negative. Mm. Because in our house, it was very healthy. Um, my father had beautiful, dark mahogany skin. My mother's skin, she looked, some people have asked, is your mom Native American? Is she, <laughs> is she biracial? What is your mom? And my mom identified as a black woman. But if you look at my DNA, lot, very multiracial, mm. very multiracial. And I, so I didn't see it as a bad thing in any way, shape or form. I yeah. believed, um, and I think my parents instilled in us, we were fearfully and wonderfully made. Yeah. So I was 
good. <laughs> but one thing that uh, I think was a surprise to me is as I would listen to my mother's stories and my father as well, my mom shared a story with me that made me realize that everyone doesn't see my skin as something beautiful um, or something that God created mm -hmm. in his image. Um, when my mother was a, a young teenager, she and Lily Reynolds Parker um, were walking together and they were walking with my aunts, uh, Aunt Bonnie Jean and Aunt Doris in the West 11th area. And um, my mom remembers hearing a sound and she remembers what she thought or what she thought at that time were paper bags flying in the air. And she came to realize they were her baby sisters. Her baby sisters had been hit by a fast moving vehicle mm. and um, their bodies went down into a ditch. Mm. And my mom remembers being completely um, distraught to the point that she remembers hitting her head against the side of a, of a house. She was, she was beside herself. Hmm. And then she remembers my grandfather saying to the young man who hit his daughters, what have you done? And the young man was crying. And so the situation was tragic. But I share this story to share this. Okay. When the ambulance was called to pick up my two aunties who were about four and six years old, the ambulance would not come here in Eugene because they were two little black girls. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I didn't understand. But I remember hearing my mother's stories. And when you, there's something powerful that happens between a child and a mother when they realize and they sense the pain of, of, of a parent sharing their story, their life experience. And I'll never forget it. And then I also remember other stories of my mom um, and dad looking for a place to live here in Eugene. Mm -hmm. And this is when the laws had already changed. So uh, blacks could live wherever they wanted to. It was no longer illegal. Um, the deeds that were on many homes, still on homes that say do not sell to black or Negro, wow. um, those things were, were void at that point. But even then, my mom remembers, and my dad also shared the story of them waiting in front of a house. They were going to, they were looking to rent the house. The house was available. Um, the owner of the house drove by, realized that they were the ones who wanted to rent here in Eugene, and he parked and did not get out of his vehicle. Hmm. And so my father said to my mother, Ernestine, they're not going to rent to us. And she said, no, Leon, the laws have changed. Things are better. And he said, Ernestine, they're not going to rent to us. Mm -hmm. So my dad got out of his vehicle, knocked on the window, and then the gentleman was still sitting there in his car. And he said to my father, I'm sorry, but I didn't know. And so my dad then had to go back into the car and tell my mom, I'm sorry, Ernestine, it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And my mom wept and wept and wept. Mm -hmm. So as a little girl, I'm hearing their stories and then sensing the pain from my mother, and then sensing the pain from my father yeah. and listening to his stories, I began to realize, whoa, something is different. I don't fully understand it because I'm a young girl, mm -hmm. but something was different. And then I realized that there were people who saw me differently when I started uh, kindergarten and first grade. Mm 
So I remember walking with my friend Michelle Bilderback. We're on Harlow Road, and and there was a young boy. I remember his name. I don't know if I should share it. <laughs> we'll call him Jimmy. Yeah, we can call him Jimmy. <laughs> but his name was Tommy. But, um, so I remember him following behind us, and he kept calling me the N-word. Now, I'm only six. So I don't fully understand what's going on, but I know that what he did, he meant for it to hurt me. Mm. And I know that it had to do with my skin. Mm. And so I remember for some reason, I turned back to him and I said, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. I quoted a James Brown song. I don't know why. Always my quote friend, James Brown is know, the best way to James go. Brown, right? So I did, I was like, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. And, so, and, uh, and then I threatened to beat him up and that's true. So, like, so there was that part. And, uh, but, uh, and so then um, I remember we were walking home and I realized that there was like all these connections that started to happen that my parents and what they had gone through and being seen as less than human mm. was now being seen with me. Mm. And so even though I would, um, you know, like people would say, oh, Jennifer, you're you're involved in this and that. And, you know, you're you're student body president and you're involved in this. And you just earn these scholarships and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I did. But I learned to put up my wall. Mm. And I learned that my true safety was at home. Mm -hmm. And it's so sad to say that, uh, that that would be a part of my experience, but it's true. Mm -hmm. um, and, I don't, and I can say with integrity, I never wanted to put up a wall. It wasn't a part of my plan, yeah. um, but in order to survive in a racist environment, I had to learn that at the age of six. Mm -hmm. And that's the truth. What was, what was your wall? What was included in that wall? My wall, I, I could be nice to people. Um, I, could, I loved school, so I enjoyed that. But as far as my safety, my safety was home. So when I would walk into a space, I was, how do I say it? I was maybe 60, 70% of myself. But when I was home, I could be all of yourself. I could be all of myself, including celebrating the skin yeah. that I'm in. Yes. Yeah, it, you know, it's always so striking to me because to hear another's experience and, mm -hmm. and to be able to just go, wow. Because I think many would say, well, this doesn't happen mm -hmm. any, anymore. And mm -hmm. yet, uh, your experience certainly reveals that it, it's still there. Mm -hmm. So let's, uh, let's talk about systems. Uh, you know, when it, when it comes to... Um, racial inequality in our in our nation. Um, I, I think lots of people would say, you know, I'm, I'm not racist. I don't feel like one race is better than another. I don't have a racist bone in my body. Um, but we can't help but look around our world and go, there seems to be structures, systems that, that seem to um, allow one race to do better than another race. And, and you just, it's just, obvious in a lot of ways, especially when, when you look at things like incarceration you know, among black men, um, it, it's so much higher. And so, you know, why is that? Speak to just those structural issues and things that you see going on. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you brought that up. And so now we have, with our systemic systems, we have issues around um, around uh, uh, police brutality. We have issues around school to prison pipeline. We have issues around our judicial system and how sentencing is allocated. Mm -hmm. And what they found is that statistically, 
black people and white people commit the same number of crimes, use drugs at the same rate, but statistically, people of color, specifically black, are incarcerated at a much higher rate than those who are white. And so they're saying with the same statistical data, as far as number of times, number of yeah. incidents, things like that. Comparing them the same way. Comparing them, the, yes, different results. And so, um, I love, there's a documentary, and you may be familiar with it, it's called 13th, it's based on 13th Amendment, Ava Duvernay. And so one thing that she mentioned, and this, and some of the data is a little bit outdated just because of time, but the, but the, the, the foundation of it remains the same. And so she said, uh, the United States holds 5% of the world's population, but 25% of the world's prisoners. Yeah. And then she also had mentioned um, statistically how that number has increased. Um, and she talked about 97% of people who are locked up have a some type of plea, plea bargain. So let's say they're not guilty, but they're forced to take a plea bargain um, because otherwise they may have to stand in front of or uh, stand in front of a jury and they may be considered guilty. And so they're pushed into taking a plea bargain, pleading that they're guilty when they're actually innocent. Mm -hmm. And that's part of our judicial system. Mm -hmm. um, she ta also talked about almost 30% of African-American men in Alabama have permanently lost their right to vote due to incarceration. Mm -hmm. And then she talked about black men account for only 6.5% of the U.S. population, but 40.2% of the U.S. prison population. Yeah. And so Keeping this in mind, if you have people, black and white, committing the same number of crimes statistically and, and as far as in different social groups, and um, but then you have a huge disparity in how whites are sentenced and how blacks are sentenced, it's something for us to to really look at yeah. as far as justice. What does justice look like? Yeah. And what we're finding is that it's not a just system. Mm -hmm. And so we have issues around implicit bias where someone may not even realize they have a bias towards someone of a different skin color, but it's there in their actions. Mm -hmm. It's there in their responses. Mm -hmm. So implicit is more internal versus explicit bias, which is more blatant yes. in your face. Yeah. And so it is something that is real and yeah. it is something that we have to uh, not only address as a nation, yeah. but we have to address it in the church. Yeah. Because bottom line, we know what one cancer cell can do to the body. Yeah. And one cancer cell will do exactly what it's designed to do, which is to destroy the body. Yeah. It's just one cancer cell. And the same thing applies to racism. Yeah. It takes one person. We could be a racist pastor. Could be a racist police officer, a racist doctor, a racist teacher, um, a racist worker, things in that order that can completely change the trajectory of a child's life, yeah. of a person's life. Yeah. And so um, as we engage in these conversations around racial social justice, why is it so important? Mm. Well, God is a God of justice. Yeah. We know that the Lord loves us. He loves his people. For God so loved the world. He yeah. gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I mean, that love came to the point of death. Death yeah. and then resurrection. But he died for it. Yeah. It meant that much for him. Yeah. And so as Christ followers, when we see or hear about injustice, it should make us uncomfortable. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's a sad thing, but the church... Um, 
unfortunately, historically, the church has been part of the problem. Yeah. So our hope is that as we engage in these conversations, what I like to call courageous conversations, that we can begin to heal the church from within yeah. the heart of God, yeah. just the doing what is right, standing up for what is right, and that that will have a ripple effect that will impact not only our city, but our state yeah. and then the world. I'm just curious, uh, you know, you mentioned uh you know, one of the, the things on your heart is police brutality. And yeah. I know that's a hard thing to talk yeah. about because I, I think many of us know police officers that are wonderful. Mm -hmm. In fact, yes. every most every police officer I know is wonderful and mm -hmm. is not racist and all those things. And yet we see the evidence of some yeah. things that are atrocious that yes. have happened in our nation. Mm -hmm. And so can can you just add some some definition or, or just some some expand on on that when it comes to that help us in that tension that we feel Ooh, so um that is a really good question um the tension is real because there are people who are put in positions of power who should not be there mm -hmm. and so i believe if a officer a teacher, a pastor, um, a social worker, anyone has any racial, um, who have racist ideology that could impact how they perform their job, I believe that they should be put aside. Yeah. Because what happens is we have some people who are in, um, in policing, who are part of the systems or judges or yeah. attorneys, what have you, who have uh, implicit bias or, or explicit bias issues. Oftentimes it's implicit mm -hmm. and it impacts how they engage in their community. It impacts. So how a judge would adjudicate a case. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And so it, it impacts how they may judge a, a specific situation. Um, and unfortunately we have cases, and I won't go into depth about the, 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 the horrors of this particular case, but if you get a chance to research the case of Brock Turner, um, mm -hmm. who uh, raped a young woman, um, the judge, during the hearing of his sentencing felt like he could not um, handle prison life. And so he basically received um, a three month sentence um, and that was even restricted for rape. And it was clearly caught, two men caught him and the whole thing, it was a horrible thing. But as a young white man, she didn't feel like he could, or the judge, excuse me, male or female, could not, did not feel that he, uh, Brock Turner, could handle prison life. Really. Yes, it's a horrifying case. Because he, case. Brock Turner was a, a white. Yeah, man. he was a okay. Stanford uh, swimmer. Okay. Um, and this was within the past uh, seven years, I want to yeah. say. Um, and so this case was a it was a hot case, and people people said this is the example of what systemic racism looks That's like. That's the inequity. The the inequity okay. that here you have someone who was caught. Two people tackled him. The whole situation, uh, it was a horrible situation. Even mm. the victim who was raped uh, shared in court. She spoke to him directly. Mm. And you can research what she shared. It is, it's a heavy one. Yeah, it's a heavy one. But even then, he was given uh, basically a slap on the hand. Mm. That doesn't happen in other cases. Another mm. example is NYPD, uh, a police officer put out a documentary and it's called Crime and Punishment and Hulu was showing it. And it was showing the discrepancies that were happening in how people were strategically um, arrested. So even though a quota, having a quota is not legal, um, 
it was still happening. Mm. And so uh, these officers spoke up and they said, this is what's going on. Um, and there was racial profiling involved. So they mm. were specifically supposed to target black and brown individuals and LGBTQ. Mm. They were targeting mm. them to make quota, which took care of part of the, the financial needs of the NYPD. Quota was a money. Yes, so it was okay. boiled down to money. Mm. Um, those who, and they kept saying white people and black people were committing the same types of crimes, uh, the, basically the same rate. But when they arrested white people, they were called into their supervisor and they were reprimanded for that because mm. though they said the, the, the white people were not their target, mm. but their target were black and brown mm. and LGBTQ. Mm. So the reason why I say that is because we have to realize that everyone doesn't look at a black person or white person the same, even in law. Sure. And if we acknowledge those things, that's where the healing begins. Maybe we can approach the structures yes, and bring be, healing to the structures. Absolutely, because what you said, we have a lot of great officers that are loving and caring, but it's amazing what one, off, one racist officer, one racist one cancer cell. One cancer cell can do. There's nothing comfortable no. about having conversations like this. And it's mm -hmm. not it's not comfortable to think of, you know, in, in a, a world that, that you want to think has has good in it. And, yes. and obviously God is the only part that, that is good in that. But to think that there's things that are so flawed, yes. so broken, mm -hmm. and and that they're going on around you and that, that I've been Mm -hmm. uh, I've been blind to many of those things mm -hmm. in my life because of my experience. And, and so it's, um, it's just painful to mm -hmm. come to that realization. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes it's like, it's just easier to not talk about it. Mm -hmm. you know? And um, I know that pressure of yeah. just it's like, okay, let's just survive. Let's get through it. And, um, and as I've been seeking the Lord, because I'll, I'll be honest with you, Aaron, my heart has been so heavy. Mm -hmm. I've cried many, many times this year, many times from uh, a broken heart. And I've yeah. shared with people, my heart is broken. It yeah. truly is um, for where our nation is. And, um, but one thing the Lord is keep showing me, um, Ephesians four, always, if you ever see me with a tattoo, I was telling your awesome wife, <laughs> if you ever see me with a tattoo that says Ephesians four on my forehead, <laughs> on my neck, it's like, so we're going with. oh my goodness, it might be on my toes. I don't know, but, but, uh, but speak truth and love, yeah. but in that speak truth. Yeah. And so it was, God was showing me that and then in addition to that, God was showing me the importance of empathy, yeah. that if we as the body of Christ embrace empathy, which we're truly called to do as we as we stand for the widow, the orphan, the refugee, um, as we stand for those who are oppressed specifically, and that's Old and New Testament. Yeah. Yeah. And so as we stand for those things, we must, as followers of Christ, as lovers of Christ, be empathetic. Yeah. So when we hear about Breonna Taylor, Tamir Rice, Trayvon Martin, George Floyd, and when we hear those names now, Jacob Blake, yeah. and so when we hear those names, that we can we need to put ourselves in the shoes of of those of those family members. Yeah. So imagine what if that were my son, yeah. my daughter, my niece, my nephew, my mother, my father, my cousin, mm -hmm. my dad, my mom. Mm -hmm. And if we are able to do that and stand and, and move and get into the shoes of those who are oppressed, mm -hmm. then we will really be able to practice what the, what, what we're called to do, yeah. which is to love our Lord, our love, the love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, <laughs> mind, and strength, but to love our neighbor as ourselves. Yeah. When you're able to 
to understand and listen Put that on. and engage, yes, and the and the hearts and the minds and the experience of the oppressed. Mm. That's what it means to mm. take up your cross and follow mm. Christ. Mm. That's when we'll see change happen in, in our nation. That's what it means to stand in the gap. Yeah. That's what it means. And so in that, the Lord has taught me as a woman of color so many things. And that's one of the reasons I'm like, come on, church. Come on. Got to wake yeah. up. It's okay to be uncomfortable. Yeah. It's okay to experience that. If anything, it means that we're still alive. Yeah. It means that we're still moving and breathing, that we're still able to listen to how God is leading us, especially our nation, as we're going through the process of, of healing or in hopes as yeah. we're going into this process of healing, that we pay attention, that we listen, and it comes from a place of love. It can't come from any other place yeah. but the blood of Jesus. Yeah from that place of love as we sit, lean in, listen and engage and take on the spirit of empathy. Mm. That's where real change happens. Mm. Wow, that's so good. You know, I, um, it, it brings up that whole tension between kind of individual responsibility mm -hmm. and social responsibility. Yes. You know, I've got this, I think often it's like, we've got this in individual relationship with God. It's me and God, yep. we're good yep. as long as we're good and I'm being nice <laughs> to people. Yes. I'm kind of doing what I'm supposed to do. Mm -hmm. um, but then there's the social responsibility. What What is the calling on a Christ follower? To bring about justice, which to me, part of God's justice is the very evidence of His presence, which yes. is unity and wisdom and mm -hmm. grace. These are the, This is the evidence of His justice mm -hmm. being in place. And where we're not seeing that, yeah. this is where we go, okay, we're, we're missing something. We need to seek Him for His justice. Yes. So, so so tell, tell, lean into that, that tension between, you know, the individual person, I, just me and God, but what's the social responsibility for, for someone loving Jesus? What was that? What do we do with that? Ooh, that is such a good <laughs> question. Um, so our personal relationship with Christ is, is essential. Um, but I, I believe our social responsibility, and this may be, some people may be like, no, Jennifer, please. I believe that our social responsibility is be ready to get uncomfortable. Hmm. It's not about your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. It's not about, oh, well, um, it's not my gifting. Um, that's really not my calling. You know, <laughs> praise Jesus. You know, I, you know, I'm just not getting that way, all that. And I'm, I'm telling you, Jesus is like, take up your cross. Mm -hmm. Let's do this work. Because it can't be about being comfortable. And when we socially interact with someone, like even, even if you watch, I love watching babies interact. They're the best. Mm. And watching a baby interact, when they're little, there's a certain point where they don't, they may not want to be involved with everyone. It may just be mom and dad. Mm -hmm. But then there's a certain point when parents begin to push and go, okay, it's time for you to go to school. Mm. No, I don't want to go to school. You know, <laughs> like, I, I'm not ready for that. Yeah. But they get that push because they know it's necessary. It's necessary for us to have healthy social interactions with one another because that's how we learn what it is to really love one another. Not just who we're comfortable with, but who we don't know and who we've yet to meet. Yeah. And so I believe that that's part of the growth as we grow. I see us individually as a body of Christ. So we're like multiple trees, but individually we have these roots that God has established in us. So we have life. We recognize that there's blood in our body. We have bones. We have our mind. We grow and we grow. And in our experiences, as we grow, our roots grow deeper and deeper. And then as God prunes us and cuts those things off, we're still growing. Yeah. And our roots continue to grow deeper and deeper. I see that as our social responsibility, mm -hmm. that 
you know, we're young in Christ. Okay, you can grow a little bit, but as we get older and as we're maturing in Christ, our roots grow deeper and how we see people and how we love people has to grow deeper as well. How we interact with our neighbor, how we love our neighbor as ourself, it has to grow deeper. Just like that in our maturity in Christ as we grow, so do so does the, the way pruning we see each too, other. Because yes. pruning is painful. It's, it can be very But what painful. we're talking about is pruning. It is. Things that might be resident in us that we hadn't even recognized That's that are it. unhealthy that Jesus <laughs> says, I need to get that out of there. Get it out. But we got to let him put the prune. That's right. That's right. And yeah. prune, and again, it's not, I love how you said that. It's not comfortable, no. but it's necessary. Yeah. It is necessary. And so I think of us individually, as far as our social responsibility, is that we must be able to say this in the church. It's okay to feel discomfort. Do not avoid discomfort. I was thinking about biblically uh, it, when Jesus went to Samaria and he took the disciples with him. He's like, yeah, we're going to take a detour. <laughs> we're going to go to Samaria. And they're yeah. like, excuse like, me? We don't do this that. Exactly. This is not where we go. Are you serious? And then in addition to that, as he's speaking to the woman at the well, she's like unclean. Oh yeah. my gosh, Jesus, what are you doing? He's like, oh, by the way, we're going to stay two extra days. We're going to what? We're going to stay. In this place? Yeah, exactly. He didn't say anything about sleeping over. Right, right. He didn't say yes. And so, but I love that about Jesus because it's like, yes you're going to be uncomfortable and you need this experience in order to grow and, and complete the calling that I have on your life. Yeah. Embrace this discomfort because you need it. And I believe that in our nation, it's important that we embrace the discomfort. Mm. It's important that we learn to listen and love and to be present when people are in great affliction. And I know as a nation, we're ashamed of things that have happened in our past, yeah. because if we talk about systemic racism and things like that, it's slavery. And then you had uh, the Reformation period where, the, so then you had blacks in the Senate and the House, like all that. And then, there, then the KKK rose into power. Yeah. So people were literally slaughtered, slaughtered in our nation. And then you have uh, Jim Crow laws, and then you have segregation, Brown versus Board of Education. You have redlining where people are forced into certain communities. Even the way that schools are funded, you know, things like that, where certain schools with higher socioeconomic status have access to more than a poorer area in the same nation within a mile or two apart. It's really a blight on our nation when you look at yeah. racism throughout history. It yeah. really is. It yeah. really is. And so, and, 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 then, a, and it's a it's yeah. a bummer because it's a great place, but there's this horrible thing in the yeah. midst of it. Yes, and, and the roots time. keep coming up. The the weeds of our nation's past continue to come up. Yeah. And it's like if we're and and I'm I'm serious, I feel like the Lord just keeps reminding me. I don't know if it's because of, you know, my mom battled cancer all of her life. She was pregnant mm. with me when she battled cancer. Wow. She had Hodgkin's lymphoma. And so mm. the analogy of cancer really resonates with me that it takes one cell to destroy the body. Yeah. But if we're intentional about addressing that cell or addressing that mass and treating it, then everything can change. But we must be intentional about addressing the cancer in the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. Because if we are not, we will not only lose ground, but we will allow our, 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 the church to fall apart and to, to die off. Yeah. And we can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, which, which takes me to that, that the, the picture of the church is the beautiful one, right? Yeah. Uh, revelation that it's every <laughs> nation, tribe, and yes, tongue gathered yes. around Jesus. That is the image of heaven. And yet that is not what the church 
always looks like. Nope. You know, I, I, we always, that's always been my dream to, to mm -hmm. pastor a church that is, you know, multi-gender, multi-racial, multi-generational, mm -hmm. multi mm -hmm. all those kinds of things. Um, and yet we, maybe in some ways we're doing better than Eugene as a whole in terms of mm -hmm. demographics, but it doesn't look like heaven yet. Yeah. And so speak to the hope that we can have in, in Jesus, what, what this could be, you know, what, what, what is it, what does forward look like together, I guess, for the church mm -hmm. and then for the world? Yeah, that is a really good question. And so I think, and I'm so glad you brought up, you know, Revelation <laughs> chapter seven. I'm like, the Lord keeps reminding me of that very thing. Every tongue, tribe, and nation, every tongue, tribe, and nation, almost like playing a record, every tongue, tribe, and nation, so that I must see things at the, in the in eternal perspective. And so, and on earth as it is in heaven, every tongue, tribe, and nation, just being very vigilant about, hey, this is the right way to go. Yeah. This is the wrong way to go. And so I believe as a church, it's not only through praying and fasting, but we have to be intentional about meeting with people who don't look like us, yeah. who don't think like us, who do not have the same experiences as we do. Yeah. And we have to be intentional about, about engaging in courageous conversations. And I believe that's one of the greatest parts of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're called to go out into the world and preach yeah. the gospel. That means we have to get uncomfortable because yeah. we've gotten a little, we like our little cushion yeah. and chars, you know. We like <laughs> these our are little, soft. Right, these are fabulous. These are nice. Yeah, they're great. <laughs> these are fabulous. <laughs> and, and we like our little praise Jesus for 22 minutes, you yes, know. That's important. Right, right, yeah. a certain thing. Yeah, and then we yeah. like to have our little sermon. We like things to be in a certain way. And I believe that God can use what's happening in our nation to shake us up so that we pay attention to what really matters. Yeah. Loving God and loving our neighbor. And when God shakes things up, if we learn to pay attention, not run away from it, but recognize, hey God, you're calling us to embrace every tongue, tribe, and nation. You're calling us to look at the world through an eternal mindset and not to lose track on what that means. If we get back to that, if that's Acts chapter two church, yeah, you know, as far yeah, as yeah. spending time with the Lord, coming together, breaking bread with one another, if we're intentional about that, Oh my goodness! I, the scripture comes to my mind. No eye has seen, no ear has nerd, has has heard, yeah. no mind can conceive what God has prepared for those who love Him. Yeah. And I believe that as we practice those things as a church, being intentional, engaging in conversation, coming into spaces with humility, like I don't know it all, mm -hmm. but I'm here to listen. I'm here to learn, and I'm here to love you exactly where you're at. I believe that our churches will change, radically change, mm -hmm. because I think, again, we've just lost the basics of the gospel. Yeah. Love God, love your neighbor. And I know it's embarrassing because we're like, that's the fundamental of the gospel. That that's should be step page one. <laughs> page, page one, one, right? Page one, that's yeah. the ABCs of yes, the gospel. Yes. But at some point we've lost that yeah. for our own comfort. Yeah. Could it be for personal gain? In some cases, it, in some cases, it has been. Mm. But I believe that we can step higher than that, that we can be greater than that. I believe that, and I say it with integrity, but it comes from a place of love. Mm. Some of the best growth that I've had in my life is when God put me in uncomfortable situations where I had to sit and listen and learn, and I was like, oh, thank you, God. Yeah. You know, I, thank you. I, I needed that. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in my life as you make me experience discomfort, that I've actually grown through those experiences. And I believe the church can greatly grow 
through this experience, but we have to be able to speak out. I was thinking of, and I'll share this scripture with you. I've highlighted a couple scriptures um, uh, in here, but there was um, one in particular. I love this in Proverbs, uh, well, uh, Proverbs 31, chapters, uh, chapter 31, verses eight through nine. Mm. It says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. And then Psalm 82, 3, it says, Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Yeah. So for the least of these, yeah. Christ died on the cross. And if we are living with that mindset that I'm going to lift up the least of these, I'm going to engage in truth and love, but engage in real conversations that can, can change injustice in our nation, that can change how families talk about race, how families talk about inequity, how we do that in our own homes, how we deal with it individually. Yeah. I believe that is what God is looking for. Because yeah. it's all about that heart. Yeah. It's all about that heart. Man focuses on that word appearance. We know how to make things look good in church. Mm. We know how to do that really well. Yeah. Put on our mask, how are you? Praise Jesus, I'm good. <laughs> you know, we do, right? We have our little things, right, that we do. Yeah. And then he's That's like, good. <laughs> right, right, I'm, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. <laughs> and God's like, man focuses on the outward appearance yeah. when he picked David. Except with the Lord your God focuses on the heart. Yeah. So he sees past all of that. And there's fruit that comes from one who is standing rightly before the Lord and has a heart for people, regardless of their race, ethnicity, regardless of their gender, regardless of whatever marginal group that they are in. And that is what will change our nation. And when I stand before God, I was telling, I was talking to God about this. Um, I said, I want to make sure that when I stand before you, because I know it's going to come, I won't be standing with you. I won't be standing with Paula. I'll be standing with just me and God. And I want to know that I did it the right way, that I stood for the widow, the orphan, the refugee, mm -hmm. that I stood for those who were oppressed, and that I was there to bridge the gap to bring healing in our nation. And I want him to be able to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I don't have time for the other stuff. I don't have time for the facades. I don't have time for that, but oh, to stand before my God and to know that I did it his way and not my way, that is the greatest victory. That's it. Amen to that. Amen. <laughs> I just thank you, Jennifer. I thank you for your friendship. I, I, honor you and your voice in, in our community. I uh, am so grateful that you um, would, would offer yourself um, to engage with uncomfortable conversations and um, courageous conversations. Yeah. And I know what you're doing. It's not just with us. <laughs> this is your life. This is. And, I, and I thank you for that. And, and um, I just want you to know we, we love you and we're with you. And um, and thank you for letting us kind of stumble through yeah. learning this and trying to grow together when it comes to this. So That's thanks beautiful. for being here with us. I know we're gonna you're gonna uh, be singing here in a little <laughs> bit too, and so we get to have that the double blessing, double the double portion of Jennifer what? today. So what? it's gonna be great. But thanks, <laughs> thanks yes. you. Thanks for this time. Thank you. This yeah. is an honor. Thank you so much. Love your wife, Paul. Hi, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> love your, yeah, I love you guys so much. And again, it's an honor. And one day at a time, one step yeah. at a time, but let's keep moving. Yeah. Pick up the cross. Let's okay. do the work. Not sit okay. stagnant. Stagnant. Uh, let's let's do the work. God is with us. <laughs>